Welcome to the Mets pod. We have a loaded show for you today as pitchers and catchers have reported to spring training. We get our first look at the Mets revamped rotation headlined by Cy Young winner Justin Verlander. We're also joined by Jeff Ballone of the Mets Fix newsletter to talk projections for the 2023 team and much more. As always, we close out the show answering your mailbag questions. So subscribe to the Mets pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can watch on SMY's YouTube or wherever you get your shows. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mets Pod. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo, and a special guest, Jeff Ballone from the Mets Fix newsletter, a great place for original Mets writing, analysis, as well as links from all around the Mets media sphere. If you haven't subscribed yet, you should just go to the Mets Fix website, enter your email, and you'll be good to go. Jeff, how are you, man? It's great to have you on. Yeah, no, and I'm glad I get to come on on a on a big day, right? Officially spring training. It's uh, it even the weather is working in our favor up in the Northeast, right? So it's officially spring. Yeah, it feels weird when we're getting about 60 degrees here in February when pitchers and catchers report. So yep. I want to start with this. For those listening to our podcast that don't know about the Mets Fix newsletter, what exactly is it that you do for Mets fans in this Mets media sphere that's growing every day as the team finds more and more success in these recent years. Yeah, no, that's it. It's just there's so much content. It's the world we live in, right? Even with streaming TV, right? Trying to find a movie on a Friday night, you're skimming through everything. So with Mets Fix, it's really trying to pull info together from all different places. So it's an email that you get every morning by 8 a.m. And then when you open it, you have a rundown of everything that happened the day before. So if you just want to you know, you're busy with your life and you want to figure out, you know, what's all the different things that happen with the Mets, but you don't want to have to search Twitter, search all the articles. You can come to the newsletter and you'll get a really succinct view of everything that happened. Um, but then we also add um, like an in-depth analysis piece. So it, it tends to be more, I'd say, numbers based, but we also, you know, we did something recently on uh, the development around City Field because uh, my partner, Peter Kaufman, operates in that space. Um, uh, we have Blake Seff, we have a, a few writers and the three of us decided as Mets fans, wouldn't it be cool if we had an email similar to what you get, like with a morning brew or a Politico, but it was for the Mets, everything you needed in one email. And that, that's sort of the genesis of the idea and, and what it is. So you've written about this and we're in projection season Pakoda, yep. Zips, everything coming out now. Uh, what are we thinking and what are you thinking about what's being projected for the 2023 Mets from those? Yes, I think we're seeing, I mean, obviously they won 101 games last year. We're seeing the numbers lower this year, you know, 90 to mid 90s. I think Pakoda had them around 96. Um, really across the board, the, the numbers are down with the new schedule, right? So you have a more balanced schedule now, so you can't rack up wins against, you know, the, the nationals and, and those types. Um, but I, you know, I, I think they're, they're pretty fair. I think what people forget with projections is they're not a precise number, right? It, it's supposed to be, you, you know, you run a bunch of simulations and then you come up with what is sort of the most expected um, in that 50th percentile range is what gets published. So obviously you can have a range of outcomes. If the Mets don't have good health, um, you know, they're not going to win 95 games, especially if, if their rotation gets hurt. So 
you know, I think the, the numbers make sense right now. If you look at a healthy Mets roster that won 101 games, and it's pretty much the same team returning. But I think there's some variance in there, particularly with the young players, right? Because that's always the hardest to project. One, what are they going to do to adjust to major league, um, you know, competition, but also how much are they going to play? And I think we'll get into that a, a little bit in a minute. But I think for the Mets, that's where the most variance lies is, you know, how much of an impact do those young players make? How healthy are they, particularly the top of that rotation, which is obviously older? And then what do guys like Senga and Quintana do to replace the great contributions they got from, you know, Walker and Bassett last year? Yeah, Jeff, you kind of hinted at something I wanted to ask you next, which was outside of just wins and losses, which is the most popular projections for obvious reasons, what 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 is another storyline from a statistical view that you're interested in? And I, I guess it would be, right, those unknowns that we haven't seen Senga pitch in America in the major leagues. Yep. We've seen a cup of coffee for guys like Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez. I mean, Mark Mantos did not have a real role with this team. Is that what you're thinking towards? It's just there's so many projections. There's so many things you could try to quantify. But with those kinds of guys, there's really not enough data backing it up that we for certain have an idea of what they'll be. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, you know, with saying obviously we have comparisons from other pitchers from Japan that have come over. Um, but, you know, it, it's an individual story. Like how are you know, how does a, a, again, even when you get in the projections and I think a lot of times when people see you know, Pakoda and all these things, they think, okay, it's just a computer model. Um, you know, they, they're not they're not thinking of anything else. And I think the context, like I try to add in, in our newsletter is you the variance that comes and, and the way you're going to get a projection right is when you're able to look at it and see how accurate is this to that individual player. And I think, like you said, with Senga, it's how does he adjust to pitching in New York? How does he adjust to an entire new routine? Um, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk whether the Mets should use a six-man rotation, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that that's where I think we're, you know, I'm most interested in seeing what happens. We've talked a lot over the last few weeks about the World Baseball Classic and how many Mets are involved. Are you worried about those kind of disruptions during spring training, especially with the quantity of major leaguers that are uh, going to the Classic? I'm not just because of the, the level of player going, right? So if you're on a World Baseball Classic roster, unless you're on you know, a country that doesn't have a lot of representation, you are probably one of the better players, right? So you know, this isn't like you're taking the rookies who need time to, you know, um, to adapt and you're putting them in a different environment. You're taking veteran players for the most part and um, you're still giving them reps. You know, there's rules to limit the, the number of pitches, um, you know, that pitchers can throw. I know the intensity is different, so you worry about that. Um, but, you know, we've seen it. We just, we've already seen in the last week that, you know, with, on the Yankees side, right, where, where players get injured in spring training. It doesn't just happen at the World Baseball Classic. Um, I think that's what everyone worries about. So I'm not worried from that matter. <clears throat> I get that they're not using the new rules, right? So there's less time to, uh, uh, you know, figure out the timing and things of that nature. So I think that maybe the Mets have a little more of a, a learning curve when the season starts because they have so many players over there. But um, it's not something that worries me. And we actually did an analysis back, uh, based on previous World Baseball Classics. How did players who participated uh, in 2017, 2013, perform when they came back, even in April. And it was a real mixed bag. There was no real trend to say, 
you know, they're in the World Baseball Classics and now they're, you know, they're not doing as well out of the gate or um, some players did really well. Um, Francisco Lindor was one of them. He had a great start to his 2017 season um, coming out of World Baseball Classic. So it, do, it doesn't worry me, but, you know, I think with the new rules, that'll probably be the area you look to the most to see how, how are those players adjusting when they don't have as much prep time. Looking at the Mets in spring training, even with they have, I think, the most players going to the WBC. So it will be, you know, a group that's been picked apart. But even with that, there's not a lot of position battles. And I think the only two that you can come up with uh, maybe some opportunity for younger guys would be DH, which we've heard a lot. The Mets are are very reluctant to do that with a guy like Francisco Alvarez. And then, of course, third base, where Escobar finished the season on a strong note. But we know Brett Beatty's been one of their top guys for a long time right now. So, Jeff, I'll throw it to you like this. One, how do you think it will play out? Or part two, or and part two, how do you think this should play out for the young guys versus the veterans? Yeah, well, I know a lot of Mets fans want uh, want to see, you know, Darren Ruff somewhere else. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, loudly. That, yeah, that, that makes sense. But, I mean, the fact is we're not that far removed you know, from him performing in the way he should in a platoon situation, right? He obviously struggled with the Mets, but that was for a short period of time last season. If you look at his numbers before the trade, um, you know, he was he was doing okay. I think I think that, you know, his his walk rate is concerning and there's some concerning underlying numbers to suggest and even looking at the projections that, um, you know, he, he could be a, a below average hitter even in a platoon role. Um, but I think the Mets are going to start. I think it makes sense with Vogel back and him uh, to to start things out. See what you have. See if you can turn him from sort of a distressed asset into something that, if you want to slot someone else in there, you can maybe move them. I rem- remember they gave up a lot to get him, um, so you would hate to just give up on him, um, especially at a low point where where I think he is now. I think. Um, with, you know, with Tommy Pham, he, he's really helping you in the outfield. I think they might be a little reluctant to use him too much in a DH role in case you have to move him around and then you lose, obviously, that DH spot if you were in that situation. So I think they, they, they're going to run with what they have and then you wait. And, and Joe knows this better than me in terms of when are these prospects ready to pop? The timing's not always going to be March 30th or April 15th. And, and the idea is that at some point you expect that they pop. And if you time that right, you, you might only need two months of a Darren Ruff or a month of a Darren Ruff. Um, and then someone else can come and help you out. So, but I, I think that's what they're going to do. And I'm not, you know, well, well, again, you would like to see the young guys and all the exciting guys right away. I'm not concerned. It's a long season. If, you know, there's, if the roster is obviously going to look different in April than it does in, you know, July, August, September. Last thing from us, Jeff, uh, what excites you most about the 2023 Mets? I think just, you know, the, the experience of following a Mets team that looks like this, right? So, I mean, if you're old enough in the 80s, obviously you remember those big powerhouse teams. But really over the last 30 years, being a Mets fan has meant sort of being the, the, the small guy in town, right? And, um, you know, Cohen's been here for a little while, but I think this is the first season where you enter the season where the Mets are really the team with a target on their back. They're a true big market team. Um, and, you know, I, I know all the focus and seeing all the quotes yesterday about, you know, it, it, the end games about winning in October and that's all that matters. But I think as a fan, you know, we're, we're not the Yankees yet, right? The Mets haven't won yet. So 
it's fun to just watch a season where your team is relevant. You're, you know your owner is going to give you the resources you need. And to just enjoy that before, you know, worrying about how far they go in October. Um, I'm just kind of excited for that, that ride of it. I'm with you, Jeff. When you're invested in a season that is over 160 games, you got to remember yeah. to enjoy it when you're putting that much time in. I think it's something that a lot of people forget. We've really enjoyed having you on today. Uh, we encourage everybody listening, check out the Mets Fix newsletter. Go subscribe, and you'll get to hear from Jeff pretty much every day and a lot more of the things we discussed, uh, analysis, a lot of statistical projections as well. So, Jeff, thanks so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Sounds great. Once again, a big thanks to Jeff Ballone from the Mets Fix newsletter. And a reminder, you're listening to the Mets Pod. Subscribe to the Mets Pod at Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can watch right on SMY's YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Joe, pitchers and catchers have reported to spring training. Honestly, Joe, from what I've seen, a lot of people have reported to spring training. We've heard from Pete Alonzo. Um, we've seen Francisco Lindor and Eduardo Escobar on the field. Brandon Nimmo never left, by the way. It feels like Nimmo left to take a physical after his extension and then went right back down to training. So I have to say, before I ask you what your favorite storyline is, I've enjoyed how excited it looks like this team was to be together again, down at spring training, working out, ready to roll with huge expectations. Uh, the vibes could not be higher right now, it feels like, in Mets land. And I know everybody says that about every spring training. But it's different when there's all-star talent across the entire rotation, across the entire lineup. It's really exciting to see. It's great. And like you said, everyone's there early. Part of that is probably WBC-driven, mm -hmm. that a lot of those players are going through World Baseball Classic soon. So they're getting there early, making sure they get their reps and uh, you know learn to adjust as much as they can to the new rules before they step away, which you know we'll see how long everyone's gone. It really depends on how far USA makes it, how far Puerto yeah. Rico makes it. We were joking. And, we were rooting for them yeah. to lose in the <laughs> nicest way. We're like, eh, yeah. please lose and come back. Kind of yeah, kidding, we, kind of not. We don't need Edwin Diaz pitching for Team Puerto no. Rico. It's okay. We appreciate it. But go hang out and then come back and, and be ready to go. Uh, one thing I'm, I'm excited about, and I'm, I'm, always, I'm always a sucker for this, and guys walking in, like, oh, oh my God, he's walking. And, and people that are new, so seeing – like, uh, Connor, you you sent me yesterday about Justin Verlander. It, it feels like it doesn't hit that Justin Verlander's a Met. It's weird, because man. I think Because we live in this, uh, like, Twitter world, and, you know, Jacob deGrom left. And, you know, normally you would think Jacob deGrom, one of the best pitchers in franchise history, one of the best pitchers in baseball leaves. You're not going to be able to bring someone in of his ilk. And... Justin Verlander happens to be a free agent. And I think fans took for granted. They're just like, Steve Cohen has a bunch of money. He's going to go sign Justin Verlander to replace DeGrom. And we'll have the same team, which is what everyone kind of complains about. But sit back and take a second and realize that the Mets lost DeGrom. They went, they signed the reigning Cy Young Award winner who posted a, a 1.8 ERA for the Astros this year. And his last six starts of the season, he didn't give up a barrel, which means. Uh, exit velocity above 90 miles an hour like he's still that dude and they're able to replace the ground with someone like that and uh, it just hasn't hit yet that he's here no it felt surreal when we watched the walk-in video of him and scherzer together especially how long you know their time together goes back and now you see these two guys 
sure you could say at the end of their careers, but they're two guys that have had no drop off at the end of their careers. They've aged like wine. If anything, they're guys that experience has aided them. Um, while there's not a lot missing from their stuff anymore. So to see them together, you, you nailed it, Joe. It's, you know, we live in this Twitter transaction world, right? That almost feels video game like. I think if we didn't do this podcast together, that's how it would feel. It would go by, you get this uh, excitement. It's, it's, you know, really quick. It's crazy, but we talk so much about it. And then when it finally happens and you see it together, you're like, this is a chance to be a really special team. And their ability to replace... Think about how many years, if the Mets lost to Jacob deGrom, what this spring training would feel like without Jacob deGrom. You'd feel like a giant piece of you as a Mets fan is missing. I'm sure some people still feel that way. Me personally, I can't feel that way when I see Justin Verlander walk out as a Met. Kodai Senga, all these different improvements they've made. It's obviously an exciting time of year. Um, and I think the chemistry has built with this team. Sure, they've added new faces, but you also have an infield where Alonzo, McNeil, Lindor, They've played together for a bit now. This outfield, I mean, Nimmo, we saw the strides that he made in center field last year and and the shape he's come into in camp this year. A guy that's ready to, you know, prove that he was worth that contract as well. So just a lot of excitement around the star power of this team um, that can't be understated. And the continuity, right? Like you, you cover football outside this and you always talk about the continuity on like yeah. offensive lines and defensive lines. Like these guys know each other, Nimmo, Marte and Canna. They were the outfield last year. It's not like we're coming into spring and, you know, Nimmo left and Kevin Kiermeyer is playing center field and he has to get a feel for how Marte plays right, how Canna Great plays point. left. So like these guys have been together, they've worked together. I think you're going to see them build upon what they did in 2022 and like you said, uh, just just funny the, the world we live in. Like we we have the mailbag, and uh, I, I love how the mailbag. Obviously, we love to answer the, everyone's questions, but it also gives us kind of a feel of how Twitter is because I yes. I don't follow I don't follow a ton of Mets fans on Twitter. Uh, my timeline would be pretty crazy if I did, but I follow some. Uh, but you see that, and it's just like they signed Justin Verlander, and we're getting mailbag questions. All right, cool. They signed Verlander. What's next? Like you said, it's like a video game. Times have like, changed. Holy heck! I mean, they signed Justin Verlander. Let's let's relax and realize how big of a deal that is, and you know we'll move on. But it's become so transactional, and I think fans should take the moment here, pitchers and catchers, before things really get going, to maybe sit back and look at the offseason and realize how much was truly accomplished. That's exactly right. And as much as we laugh at the what's next, maybe the Mets didn't because you have Quintana coming into camp. Somebody that Buck mentioned, by the way, during his media session as, you know, an underrated or an underappreciated or undervalued kind of guy that they're excited to have on that roster. Of course, Senga gets a lot of highlights because there is so much unknown with Kodai Senga coming over here. There's a world where he's an ace. There's a world where he's a fit starter. He was paid to be somewhere in between. And sometimes, you know, guys just fall in between that line. So, Let's get into the mailbag, because like you said, Joe, I think the great part about the mailbag is it, it gives a feel of the Mets fan on our show. There's always our thoughts, the guests we have on, their thoughts, but you get these, like, for instance, right now, the mailbag questions I gathered for today's show were things that personally really surprised me that I haven't thought about, but this, and this first one is from JS, who asked, are we confident this bullpen has actually improved significantly? It's Diaz, Adovino. Rayleigh, Robertson, then a whole lot of question marks after that. 
Not to mention Diaz and Ottavino are due for regression after outstanding seasons last year. I, the last part is something that I think does not get discussed enough. When guys have career level years, especially somebody like Ottavino, who's an older pitcher. D- now Diaz replicating what he did last year is not fair to expect, but it is fair to expect Diaz is one of the best relievers in all of baseball and will continue to be that. But Joe, what did you think of that? Do you think that it's become overstated, the additions they made in the bullpen? Are you worried that it's top-heavy? Because I haven't thought of this because every year, good teams have bullpens that have three, maybe four guys at the top that you you rely on, and then the rest always figures itself out in spring going into the year. Bullpens are obviously tough to predict and project. We know year to year, anything could really happen. Like Adovino, look at the year before he joined the Mets, and then look at last year. And I mean, you could go to Aaron Loop, right? Who's no longer with the Mets. He was amazing for the Mets. He left, he signed with the Angels. It wasn't so good the next year. Uh, so it, it's it's really tough. But I think on paper, when you just look at the talent that's on paper, it is a. I think it's a better bullpen. Like David Robertson was a closer for a World Series runner-up. He is now the setup man for Edwin Diaz. Um, Adam Adovino, I think, found something here with Jeremy Hefner, with this coaching point. staff. Um, I don't know, like you said, if he'll replicate the same thing. I think his walks uh, are probably going to rise. Historically, he's been a high walk guy, and he was a weirdly low walk guy in 2022. So I could see that uh, trending upwards a little bit. But Brooks Raley is a guy that's been fantastic for Tampa Bay consistently. And I think he's going to add something that, you know, the Mets were lacking last year. We were talking about having that lefty reliever all year and trying to find a way to replace Joely Rodriguez, who, man, I, that name popped in my head when I was thinking of answering this. And I was just like, I forgot Joely Rodriguez was like the Mets lefty for the whole year on a 101 yeah. win team. And then when you, you look at the question marks at the bottom end, to, to your point, Connor, that you just said, that's how bullpens are across baseball. Like you're not looking at teams and they have – seven go-to guys that you know what you're going to get from. You need the Zach Greens, the Steven Ridings, the Bryce Montez de Ocas, the Steven Nagosics, the guys like that, that, you know, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get from them, but they have talent and you want to put them in scenarios where they can succeed, where it's lower leverage spots. Like, I mean, Montez de Oca is a favorite of this show because he's like our own wild thing, crazy yeah. stuff, doesn't necessarily know where it's going, but <laughs> If he's pitching in a, you know, six to one Mets lead in the sixth inning, it's a lower leverage spot where you're, you're a little more comfortable and and they build confidence from that. Like a lot of guys that develop into those setup type of relievers are ones that started out in those lower leverage middle relief spots and just gain the confidence. It's it's all confidence, right? In the in the bullpen, like cornerback in the NFL, it's all about confidence. And Edwin Diaz, obviously a prime example of that. 2019, I, I tweeted this yesterday. Go back to 2019. Edwin Diaz posting an ERA over five and a half, giving up home runs basically every day, it felt like. In New York, first year after a big trade, like he could have easily just flamed out from that. But he got back on his horse. He got his stuff fixed a bit. And now the confidence, like talking to the media yesterday, he's just like, yeah, I'm not changing anything. Fastball slider, I'm striking everybody out. Like, that is genuine confidence from the $100 million closer of the New York Mets. So long-winded, on paper it's better, but bullpens are a little unpredictable. For sure. I think an extremely fair question, and one I would, add, I would you know, encourage, see what happens in the spring. 
see what happens the first two months of the season, then revisit. And if you got to go out and get an arm at the deadline, then you do that. Or this is the time to experiment, Joe. I mean, the Mets have such interesting arms on the back end of their rotation that we have no idea how they would project to a bullpen role. We have no idea if the Mets would have any interest in looking at them in a bullpen role. But when you look at Lucchese, McGill, who you and I for a long time have kind of aligned that, hey, if his body doesn't hold up as a starter, maybe he projects as a high-profile reliever. Maybe he projects as, you know, there was a time where it felt like Lugo would pitch two innings and he was this flex guy in between, like, we don't know if he's a starter. We don't know if he's a reliever. Well, sometimes it's a weapon to be something in between, right? A bridge guy that can eat some innings at the end of the game for you as well. So that kind of uh, transitions me to our next question from old pal Steve Miller, who said, do you see David Peterson as the sixth starter and McGill as the seventh or the other way around? And Joe, to be honest with you, when I read this, I go, I don't know if the Mets know this yet. I I think what Peterson did last year was significantly underappreciated that maybe he gets that nod no matter what, but we know the tantalizing upside that Tyler McGill possesses. I think that's a straight up competition. Like who's going to prove that they deserve it. And that's not just a spring training competition. That's a, that's a competition in AAA Syracuse where they both have minor league options so they can both go down. Uh, Eileen Peterson, I think he took that big step forward last year where that slider became effective against both lefties and righties. And prior to that, it was really just a, almost like a lefty specialist slider that got lefties out, but he he couldn't locate it properly against righties and he got hit. Uh, so that, I mean, frankly, I'm pretty sure it graded out as like a top 10 or 15 slider in the sport. And his command took a step forward. He kept the ball in the ballpark in 2022. So to me, David Peterson, honestly, he's he's one of the reasons why I would have considered trading Carlos Carrasco in the offseason. Because I think David Peterson, if if you started opening day with Peterson as the five and Carrasco as the four or whatever because they didn't sign three starting pitchers, I think David Peterson would probably outperform Carlos Carrasco this year. I, I just think he's... He's on the rise, like you said, uh, former first-round pick. Great talent that's really kind of figured things out. And McGill, more the seven guy, more the maybe he ends up a bridge reliever guy. I think this is going to be a huge year for what the Mets think of Tyler McGill going forward. You make a great point with Peterson is that, hey, if somebody in this rotation struggles, right, Carrasco, maybe Sango's transition's not as easy as everybody expects. And that doesn't mean – uh, just from a straight performance standpoint, but from a health standpoint, Peterson becomes a massive, massive factor on this team. And last year, I think this is the least discussed player in terms of what he did last year when the Mets won over 100 games. He started almost 20 games. He had 19 starts. He threw over 100 innings. He had a sub-4 ERA. His strikeouts over nine were was almost at 11. Jarring jump from 9.3 the year before. And the thing you mentioned, Joe, that is by far the most important home runs were down 1.5 over nine in 2021 under one in 2022. So we love to do this this time of year. And it's, it's great that we have the ability to go, wow, look at who they have at the six, the seven, even the eight spot, the six, seventh and eighth spot have often made starts by the time June rolls around. This is a brutal game. We've heard Buck say it 
a guy's arm is not supposed to do that a hundred times in a single night. And I think it goes back to as well. This even goes back to the bullpen question. When we talk about the improvement from Peterson, we talk about certain relievers finding it here, leaving, and then maybe not being the same guy. How about Jeremy Hefner in the sport right now? I think when you look at the Mets staff, clearly all the attention is on Buck and he deserves all that attention. And I think he embraces or likes having that attention. So it's not allocated other places like the roster, like his staff. Jeremy Hefner has a track record right now, Joe, that I don't know how much longer he's going to be a pitching coach. This is a guy that it wouldn't surprise me if the Mets have a big year. He gets poached to go actually coach a full team if that's a desire of his. Jeremy Hefner is one of the elite pitching coaches in the sport right now. Uh, he's he's a balance of the new school and the old school. He's young enough that he relates to the pitchers. Uh, you know, it's not a, you know, no offense to the 65, 70-year-old pitching coaches sure. that are great, but those guys that, you know, waddle their way out there and uh, and help out, but it's a lot maybe old school stuff. Hefner's a perfect blend of the two. And like you said, maybe he is a manager at some point in the not too distant future, but it seems like every year, there's someone, one or two guys, like in 2022, maybe we call it Peterson and Adam Adovino, that Jeremy Hefner kind of unlocks something in them that obviously takes them to that next level. So I'm very excited to see who that is in 2023. And uh, when you talk about the starters, it's it's funny. You're like six, seven, eight might start in June. Heck, nine, 10, 11 might start in June. The, the, let's the, not hope the, for that. Yeah, let's not hope for it, but you got to have, preparation right like Justin right. Verlander just turned 40 Max Scherzer's 39 Kodai Senga's moving into a five-day rotation which he's never done before um Carlos Carrasco has even had sneaky some injury history so uh you have to be prepared for all these scenarios and I think that's why you saw the Mets prioritize acquiring depth and depth that can be optioned to and from the minor leagues because you have to be ready Buck told us last week on the show someone might come at 6 30 and be like I don't feel good I can't pitch today you have to be prepared for that with a backup plan. So, um, yeah, I think the the rotation thing is going to be very interesting to follow this year, and uh, hopefully Jeremy Hefner could stay a part of this thing for a while. Here's the reality, Joe. You look at the Houston Astros, right, who won the World Series last year. Whenever you look at a World Series team, it's not always this way, but a lot of times you look at it, everything went right for that team, right? There's stories of Cinderella stories, especially in baseball. And I think it happened who they played the Phillies. Nobody thought they'd be there, but it felt like by July, everybody looked at the Astros and went, this team could probably win the world series pretty handedly. Per great roster, great pitching, a lot of good luck on their side. That's what it takes to win a championship. Joe, they had eight guys make starts for them. Six of them made double digit starts. That's the world series champion. Okay. So, the reality is, no matter how good you are or how good things go, we talk about Peterson and McGill, six and seven. Well, will they pitch? Will they be in Syracuse? Kind of goes, hey, who's eight and nine? Because that guy is going to be making critical starts as well. And I just think it's an interesting thing to point out and why the depth matters so much with this team. Now we'll swing this the other way. This one from Mets fan 1720. Much more simple, better vibes question, Joe. I'll throw it right to you. Who's starting opening day? Max Scherzer. And I think, I think it's Buck to stay. I think Buck uh, said yesterday that he's playing to split up Max and Verlander at the beginning. 
So that way one can start the home opener as well as opening day. And, you know, Verlander is obviously the, the new signing, the reigning Cy Young, but Max has been here a year longer. So I think you yeah, give him the nod for opening day. And then the Mets fans showing up the city field for the first time, get to see the new shiny toy in Justin fun. Verlander for home opener. I think that that sounds like the best way to do it. I agree. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that, you know, it's crazy. He's only been here a year, but Scherzer is maybe that dude in the clubhouse. Obviously, guys like Lindor as well. We know about Escobar's leadership. We know uh, Nimmo, as he's gotten older and been with the team longer, has definitely taken on that role. It really makes you wonder if the Mets will have a captain. Not this year. That's not happening. But in future years and who that would be narrowed down to. But obviously, Scherzer is a guy that this team would love to play behind on opening day, and I think Buck knows that. Our last question from the mailbag, and this is a little bit more of a, you know, an open discussion. This one from Mickey. Mickey asked, should we feel confident with this lineup? How can we see, uh, how can we, when we need some guys to have career years yet again? So this is tricky to me, Joe, and we've had this discussion. The Mets lineup definitely kind of fizzled out at the end of the year. Can't emphasize enough how big the Marte injury was. Can't emphasize enough that the acquisition of Ruff, which was supposed to pay pretty big dividends, was a total dud, an absolute dud. This offense was good, though, for a large part of the season, and they did fall apart at the worst possible time. So this is a, kind of a double-edged sword here, Joe, where I look at this and go, this lineup's good enough to win in 100 games, once again, especially behind this pitching and the defense they play and the way they're managed and the way they approach every day. I think the question is, though, does this lineup have the thump to win the big games, close out the division, and, of course, make that postseason run? I mean, who who really had a career year in 2022? Like, I mean, McNeil, kind of, but, like, he's been a well over 300 hitter in his career. I don't think it's been, like, I mean, Brandon Nimmo, even frankly, he had a down, had a down, he had a a down, down year. offensive year. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think there was really career years that sort of spurned it. I think we're just maybe to a degree underrating the quality of this offense just based on the lack of power and how the season ended. Of course, that's, that's ultimately what matters. It doesn't matter what you do as much in June and July as September and October. Um, we know that's how it works. And uh, you and I had talked all offseason about wanting to see more power added here. And they really didn't change all that much. I mean, maybe Narvaez has a little more pop than McCann, but you're really hoping for Francisco Alvarez to be the power behind the play at some point during the season. And you have the trade deadline again. Hopefully it's a, a better trade deadline than it was this past year. Because the reality is everyone gets on Daniel Vogelback. He had one of the highest OPSs of anyone traded at the deadline. And you weren't getting Juan Soto. Josh Bell stunk for the Padres until the playoff series against the Mets. And then all of a sudden he decided to hit home runs again. Uh, so, you know, Mancini you was bad. At, Mancini was bad. Christian Vasquez, the catcher everyone wanted was bad and a backup. Frankly, he didn't even play for Houston. Uh, so I think you're just looking for Daniel Vogelback to regain some of that power that he had previously. You're looking for Darren Ruff to hit left-handed pitching like he has for his entire career and just didn't for the Mets. Uh, you'd like to see, Brandon Nimmo get a little closer to his career norms offensively. But I think if you look at this offense, you're going to see a lot of run production. It's different. And I, I, I do wonder when you think about the shift being banned, is that going to play 
more in the favor of a team like the Mets that is contact oriented, putting the ball in play. And, you know, you're not hitting so much into shifts. And, you know, hopefully that is a help for them. But it's a valid concern based on how it ended. But if you look at their season-long statistics from last year, which is obviously the bigger sample size, it's clear it's a great offense. It just kind of just feels like it's missing just that little bit of juice. And, you know, maybe the young players can provide that. I think so. I think it's a really valid question and one that we're going to have our eyes on all year until they lock up that division. Of course, what they do in the postseason. I do side with you on the career year aspect, just because McNeil won the batting title. Well, he hit 23 home runs in 2019. His OPS was 916 compared to 836 last year. So it wasn't a career year for McNeil. We've talked about Nimmo once again, having that down year. It was a good year, but he's had better years. I think the more important aspect with Nimmo was that he stayed healthy. I think Alonzo and Lindor have more home runs in the tank for this team. I, I really do. We've seen Pete hit 53 in a season. It's great that he hit 40 last year. Can he get to 45, right? Can you tap into how do you find the extra 20 to 25 home runs? Can Pete give you five more? Lindor, who hit 26 last year, but is a guy that's hit 38 in a season. Can Lindor give you five more? That's already 10. Say you get five to 10 more out of the catcher spot and DH spot combined, that's a significant difference, Joe. And it's not a given. It's not a given at all. But it's something that that meat is on the bone. That is absolutely on the table. And they need to, it's up to the players. And they need to find that. And if they don't, then yeah, the questions will circle back at the deadline that this lineup's not good enough and the Mets have to make a move. But a lot of excitement, a lot of great stuff on the way. Joe, as we head into World Baseball Classic time, full spring training time, spring training games. What are your uh, closing thoughts on today's episode of the Mets pod? I'm just glad baseball's back. This The Super Bowl's over. Football season's over for now. We know that kind of kicks up again <laughs> yeah. in a couple of weeks, but uh, it's it, it's baseball time now. And like I said, I just love seeing all the new faces, seeing everyone down in St. Lucie just throwing around. Kodai Senga is just smiling at all times. I, he just seems like the happiest guy ever. Uh, it's going to, Maybe it'll be a him versus Brandon Nimmo competition for who smiles more. Uh, but no, I'm just excited baseball's back. And, you know, we're, we're done with the offseason. We're done with the hot stove. That was so fun to do that over the last couple months. But now it's time to not project, just play. Absolutely, Joe. Well said. We're excited. We'll be here with you guys the rest of the way. So a reminder to subscribe to the Mets Pod, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can watch all of our full-length shows on SMY's YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll catch you next week.